Welcome again to Change Your Mind About You, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and in today's episode, I'm going to address the issue of belief in the necessity of sacrifice and how it actually impairs our ability to practice pure love. In the previous episode, we learned how the outside world we perceive is merely a reflection of our own personal inner world, in that to enjoy the happy and abundant life of peace and good health we all desire, we must change the way we think. As Jesus put it in the New Testament, we must repent for the forgiveness of sins. But in our modern Western society, there are a number of cultural barriers that provide resistance to making such a change. Perhaps the most formidable of all those is our belief in the necessity of sacrifice. From our nation's infancy, our laws, and thus our culture, have been deeply influenced by the Judeo-Christian ethic. And the centerpiece of this ethic revolves around love for God and neighbor being expressed through sacrifice. Even though the church's influence in our society today may be in decline, this relationship between love and sacrifice still continues to be a deeply treasured artifact in our culture. So now, let's take a closer look at this concept of sacrifice in order to understand how it actually hinders our ability to love both ourselves and others. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines sacrifice as, quote, destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else, end quote. Traditionally, sacrifice has often been applied in a religious context in the form of killing a victim, usually an animal of some kind, on an altar. And since the Holy Bible has been a highly treasured text throughout our nation's history and has had a huge influence on the evolutionary development of our culture, let's look now to it to discern what it teaches us about the concept of sacrifice. A prime example here uh, in the Bible is that of the Passover sacrifice, first discussed in Exodus 12. Here the Lord is speaking to Moses and Aaron and tells them in Exodus 12, we're going to read verses 3, 5, and 6. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Verse 6. Take care of them until the fourteenth day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now I want us to think about what's going on here. 
Each household in the community is to slaughter a young male, sheep, or goat without defect. That the animal was to be without defect was a requirement because the animal being slaughtered was to reflect the character traits of God. But let me ask you, who is also created in the image and likeness of God? Mankind. Thus, the animal represented mankind as God created them. What is being sacrificed here is mankind as God created them. This is important to understand. There are a few other points here that need mentioning. Ancient Israel was, of course, a patriarchal society in which males were more valued than females. So the animal chosen for the sacrifice was always a male. Finally, the animal was given close attention for four days prior to being slaughtered. That's certainly enough time to become emotionally attached to this little thing, this little young sheep or goat. At this point, now, having read this, I want you to imagine yourself as a member of the Israelite community at the time. You have to choose a flawless, one-year-old lamb or kid from among your flocks. So you do. Either you, or more likely your children, then pay close attention to this childlike animal for four days before it is to be sacrificed. Now, how would doing that make you, and especially your children, feel? Might you have to overcome feelings of affection for this cute little thing as you take the knife to its throat? Secondly, what did this beautiful young animal do to deserve this kind of treatment? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It was completely innocent. Do you think just a tinge of guilt may accompany the killing of such an innocent victim? Doesn't it seem logical that this entire set of circumstances here is going to bring about a cacophony of mixed emotions within you and those close to you and involved with this animal? If that's so, then why sacrifice? What, what's the point? Let's go to verses 7, 12, and 13 of Exodus 12. Then they are to take some of the blood the blood of the sacrificed animal, and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague, plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what's the message here? 
Each family sacrificed an animal in order to not be judged by God as worthy of death. These people feared death. So in keeping with the meaning of sacrifice, the Israelites willingly gave up the precious young lamb or kid from their flocks in order to save themselves from death by plague. Thus they suffered a loss in order to avoid judgment, which they perceived as a gain. As I've said before, and on a number of occasions, in fact, the, ancient, the history of ancient Israel is nothing more than a microcosm of the world at large. Sacrifice is the way of our world. And you don't have to look very far and wide to see that that's true. Let's look at some examples. Governments, for example, speak of military personnel that enter into armed conflict and lose their lives as having made, quote-unquote, the ultimate sacrifice. Some young man or young woman loses their life in battle on behalf of their country. Their family and friends grieve as they suffer the loss of a loved one whose life, whose life was too short. But yet we're told that this sacrifice was for a noble cause. Is there something about this line of reasoning that just doesn't seem to add up, that just doesn't make sense? Here are more subtle examples. The vast majority of products and services provided in our economy come at a price. It's a bartering arrangement, an exchange. You suffer a loss in order to gain what is perceived to be an equal exchange in the transaction. Think about that. Bartering is yet another form of sacrifice. As the expression goes, there are no free lunches. There's a price to pay for everything in the world. And then there's the issue of competition, which is yet another form of sacrifice. Let's say an employer attempts to fill a vacancy in its business, so it interviews a variety of candidates who they believe are qualified for the position. Yet only one is chosen to fill that position. The one chosen has been successful in gaining the new position and the business has a new hire that meets their needs and presumably better helps the company to meet its goals. But the rest of the candidates, what happens to them? They suffer loss. The time and effort they took to achieve this position was wasted. Again, another example are athletes in competition, let's say at the Olympic Games, in hopes of winning a medal. There are dozens of athletes worldwide who've trained for years to even qualify to make it to the Olympics. Countless hours of training and self-discipline were exercised by all of them, yet only three will be awarded the medals. Those three have their efforts rewarded, while the others sacrifice their time 
in an effort to come away with nothing. Again, another example is the the grading of children in our educational system. It's another form of sacrifice. Such grades are merely an arbitrary measure of a person's value, the student's worth as a human being. How many children have developed a false concept of their value because of the way our educational system treats them? In effect, these kids have sacrificed who they truly are for someone else's opinion of who they are based on false pretenses. My friends, can you see where all this is taking us? The concept of sacrifice is tragic and has had far-reaching effects upon all of us. All of us have been affected by it because it is so deeply ingrained into our culture's system of thought. Sacrifice is a concept that is entirely based on inequality. And because it treats some more favorably than others, those who practice it cannot love others as themselves. To love others as yourself while practicing sacrifice is impossible. In fact, sacrifice may actually be equated with hate. And hate literally means to love others less by comparison. So what are we to do? How do we remove the weight imposed upon us by a system founded upon this burden of sacrifice? Jesus answered this question for his disciples. He said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus referred to this command to love one another as a new command. Now, that seems odd considering the Old Testament scriptures taught in Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. If the command to love your neighbor as yourself had been a taught among the Israelites for generations, there must have been something new about the way Jesus loved his disciples in order to call his teaching a new command. What was that? It was pure love, apart from sacrifice. Notice what he taught the crowds in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He said there, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened? 
Weary and burdened from what? The way of sacrifice. And I will give you rest. Rest meaning peace of mind. Removal of the conflict that is induced by sacrifice. Recall the little children that took care of the lamb? Or the goat, the kid, that had to be sacrificed? You don't think those people had inner conflict when they had to take a knife to that, that thing's throat? Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What does Jesus want us to learn from him? Learn the way of pure love without sacrifice. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. To live and teach the way of pure love is what it means to be a light to a world that's trapped in the midst of the darkness of inner conflict produced by following the way of sacrifice. It is also what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. But now, as I have said all of this, I can hear many of you thinking, doesn't the entirety of Christian doctrine revolve around the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to take away the sins of the world? Yes, it does. But I tell you, the crucifixion of Jesus was not a sacrifice. And I will prove that to you in the very next episode of Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you that our culture has taught us to blend the concept of sacrifice with love. But all that does is burden us with a heavy load of guilt caused by the resulting inner conflict that's made within our minds. The new way that Jesus taught was the way of pure love without sacrifice. And it is in practicing such pure love that we show ourselves to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So, until next time, take good care and be well, my friends.